Uh, well, good morning. Let's try this. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, all right. Well, good morning. Uh, so glad that you are here today. Uh, have you ever seen a rock star get jealous? Have you ever seen a rock star get jealous? Uh, I have a couple friends who are in a band called The Afters, and a couple years ago we were hanging out, and The Afters, they're not like crazy huge stars, but they've toured, they've sold a couple million records, and we were having dinner, and a discussion started going, and they said, Eric, do you believe in the favor? And I was like, what's the favor? Like, do you believe in the favor? I was like, what's the, what's the favor? And they're like, it's this thing where like some people just seem to have like the favor of God on them, like they're just lucky. I was like, like, you guys, like, you get to travel the world, do music for a living. They're like, no, no, no. Like, our friend Dave Barnes, like, he wrote this song called, you know, God Gave Me You. And, like, it's a good song. But, you know, it was on the radio, and they were telling me this story how uh, Blake Shelton, who's on The Voice, country singer, was driving around uh, one day, having a tough time in his marriage, and that song came on the radio as he was flipping the stations. And so immediately he called up his manager and was like, hey, I've got to cover this song. And it became a huge hit for Blake Shelton. And so my buddies in the, in the afters are just like, man, that is, that's just crazy. Like, he obviously has the favor on him. And uh, it was just funny to hear them kind of jealous about that and talk about the favor. And so even this morning, I was like, I wonder, like, how does Dave Barnes, who wrote that song, his version compare to uh, Blake Shelton's? And I was like, man, Dave Barnes, his version has 3.8 million views on YouTube. Like, that's pretty good, right? Like, Almost 4 million people have watched his music video. Then I looked at Blake Shelton, and 76 million people have watched his version, uh, which is pretty awesome. But either way, like, man, favor on uh, Dave Barnes for writing this great song that Blake Shelton then ended up using. Well, as we've studied the life of Esther these last couple weeks, we can see that for sure Esther is someone who has that favor of God upon her life. She has that favor. And if you're like me, you would like the favor of God on your life. Amen? I think that's something we all could want. Now, it's not to say that Esther had an easy life. I mean, far from that. She was orphaned at a young age, lost her parents. She was forcibly taken into a pagan king's harem and forced to have a one-night stand with this king. And the one person she should have been able to trust, Mordecai, let her down again and again. But in spite of all that, and and even last week, we saw her face the possibility of certain death by coming before the king. And in spite of all those challenges on her life, we can see, though, that the favor of God was upon her. What exactly is this thing? Sometimes we talk about the favor. What does it mean to have the favor of God? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down, that the favor of God is the guarantee of his presence, his provision, and his power to accomplish his special purpose in and through my life. The favor of God is the guarantee of his presence, his provision, and his power to accomplish his purpose in our lives. We've been talking that our subtitle for the book of Esther is God's perfect work through imperfect people. That in spite of Esther not being perfect, Mordecai and the rest of the people in that book, that God's perfect work still happens through imperfect people. But there's nothing like the favor of God upon your life. How many of you want the favor of God to operate in your life? Go ahead and raise your hands. Achieve favor. You just receive it. You can't work hard enough. You receive the favor. And this morning, maybe you're sitting there. Maybe you're, you're here and you're, you're a guest of your mom. You came and you're like, oh, here's another preacher telling me, like, if I do this certain thing, 
I'm going to have a special connection with God if I just pray this certain prayer or buy this book or whatever it might be. That's not what we're talking about. I want to be clear that the favor of God is not the same as favors from God. The favor of God is very different than just looking for favors from God. See, too often I think we seek after favors from God. We want God to make our life a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable. We want God to make things a little more convenient for us. But instead of seeking after favors from God, we want to seek after the favor of God. The favor of God is the living, breathing, dynamic of a relationship with Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit that changes the way that you see God. For the longest time, I knew, you know, that God loves me because, you know, I felt like, well, because he has to, because he's God. I thought that, you know, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus, that God had to love me. But what God's favor teaches me is that God loves me, God likes me because he wants to. And the same thing with you, that God loves you, God likes you, not because he got tricked into it, but because he wants to. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to pour out his presence and his provision and his power on your life to accomplish his perfect purposes in and through you. God doesn't love you just because he got suckered into it. He likes you because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you are in Christ, then he is pleased with you because of the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. And the favor of God is directly connected to the presence of God. And the essence of that favor isn't just what happens to me. It's not just about external blessings. It's about who I know is with me no matter what happens. See, the essence is the presence. The essence of the favor of God is his presence with you. It doesn't matter the things you go through. It doesn't matter if, if life is going great or if life is struggling. You know God is with you. God is with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And God is with you in those green pastures. Our good shepherd is with us wherever we go. And this morning, I want to tell someone who's, who's hurting this morning, who's struggling. I know Mother's Day can be a tough day. My wife and I struggled for uh, three, four, five years with the desire to want to have kids. And Mother's Day was really hard for us. As, as again and again, it just wasn't working. So I get it. Maybe this morning you're just feeling like I'm pacing a smile on my face because Mother's Day is hard. Maybe you lost your mom recently. And Mother's Day is just a reminder of that. This morning we actually have some flowers out in the lobby and that's our gift to you, that if you've suffered the loss of your mom, if you've suffered a miscarriage or the death of a child, we want to say, hey, we see you. We acknowledge that. Take one of those flowers home. It's our gift to you. But I want you to know that in spite of suffering, in spite of life being hard, God is with you. And you can still experience the favor of God, which is the presence of God in his in your life. If you want the favor of God on your life, I'm going to ask everyone just to stand up with me as we, as we pray, and then we're going to dive into God's word today. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace, and that in spite of going through things in life, maybe we don't anticipate challenges, God, that your presence is with us. 
And God, we can feel your favor, your love, your grace, your presence in our life. So God, I pray that this morning you would be here, that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words, that my voice would be your voice. God, I thank you for all the moms here. God, I thank you for all the ladies whose desire is to be a mom and that just hasn't happened yet. God, I pray that you'd be our comforter, our hope, and our joy. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We've been diving into the book of Esther for the last four weeks, and today we wrap up our book study. Here at Mosaic, we love books of the Bible, and we like to go through books of the Bible one book at a time. We've covered the book of Genesis, Ephesians, Luke, Song of Solomon last fall. It was a ton of fun. And now we're wrapping up Esther. And as we've studied that, I think you can see three big themes throughout the book. The first theme is sin. We see sin. The beginning is pretty depressing, honestly. Uh, we meet King Ahasuerus, the great Persian king who's a drunk and a pervert. And he kind of abdicates his responsibility because he has this harem full of women, hundreds of women that he just has lots and lots of relationships with. And then we, we met Haman, his right-hand man. And, and, and he's a godless, violent man, a proud man. Lots of sin in the beginning of Esther. And then the storyline shifts to suffering. We see Esther is, is forcibly taken into the king's harem, forced to spend a one-night stand along with hundreds of other teenage virgin girls with the king and participate in the Bachelor of Persia edition. And then we, we saw that Haman had this plan to kill all of the Jewish people. And the day for their execution was set. And so God's people were suffering emotionally of, of knowing that this, they're heading towards destruction. What are they going to do? How are they going to be saved? See this theme of sin and then suffering. And then in chapter 8, the focus is really going to shift to stewardship. What are Esther and Mordecai going to do with the power and the authority and the affluence that they have now. Last week we saw this great reversal, how Haman wanted to kill Mordecai, but how God orchestrated events so that, Mord that Haman lost his life, and now Mordecai has been raised to power, and Esther is stepping into her role. We've seen her transition from just being called Esther in the first couple chapters to becoming Queen Esther, and we're going to see her rise continue to rise in prominence and power as she steps into her own and she embraces the destiny that God has given her because she's stepped into the identity that she truly is. But we're going to see what are, what are they going to do with this new power and influence that they have. Well, this edict had been declared from Haman that was going to destroy all the Jews. Well, even though Haman is now dead, his plan is still in motion. And the king can't simply just cancel it because something called the law of the Medes and the Persians. And that was that once a king's law had been set, no one, including the king, could alter that. And so what we find is that Esther and Mordecai, their life has been spared. Haman has been killed, but his plan is still in place. And so what are they going to do? The big question is, how are Esther and Mordecai going to steward the favor of God that it's been bestowed upon them? What we're going to see this morning is that God gifts both men and women with leadership gifts, and he brings them to influential, powerful positions. And this morning, I want us to look at what makes Esther and Mordecai good stewards and good leaders. So I think all of us would desire to be good stewards, 
of what we've been given and to become good leaders. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Number one, what can we learn from Esther Mordecai is humbly step into authority. Humbly step into authority. The first thing we see is their acceptance and exercising of authority. We're going to read in chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Uh, the scriptures will be here on the side screens. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told, had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Here's what happened was Haman, this wicked, evil man, was in authority. And last week we saw this great reversal, and Haman gets crucified in his own yard on the, 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 on the pike, the pole that he had set up for Mordecai. But now Mordecai finally meets his son-in-law after five years of Esther being married to uh, the king. And Esther tells the king, hey, here's my adopted father. You've never met him before. Uh, surprise, I'm Jewish. We talked about last week how he didn't know. And so the king is finally meeting Esther's adopted father. And she's like, here's my dad. Now Haman, in our context, he was like the vice president of the Persian Empire. Second command. And now Mordecai is going to become the vice president. And not only that, he's going to receive a great deal of wealth and power. Because after Haman was executed, all of Haman's wealth and power and estate was transferred to Mordecai. So Mordecai just goes from being powerless to being powerful. From not having access to the king, having access, from, as far as we can tell, from being poor to being very rich. And going from a, a low-level government job at the, at the city gates to becoming vice president of an area of land the same size as the United States. This is a big job. I mean, that's a huge day when you go from low-level job to vice president, from poor to powerful and rich. Like, that is the favor and blessing of God in his life. Amen? Like, that's an amazing reversal. That's a big day. We're told, too, that Mordecai is given the signet ring of the king. And that's in extremely important. That's like in our days, he's given power of attorney. And that's how you can legally operate with the voice and approval of the king, the most powerful man on the earth at this time. And I want you to see that Esther and Mordecai step into their authority and accept these great responsibilities. Here's my question for you. What authority do you have? What leadership opportunities do you have in your life? See, all of us have some degree of authority. And here's what God wants you to do is to humbly accept it step into leadership, to step into authority. Now, honestly, Mordecai and Esther could have had very legitimate reasons to say, you know what, I don't feel like I'm wired up for leadership. I'm not ready. Esther could have said, you know what, I'm not ready to be queen. I don't come from a royal bloodline. I'm too young. She's probably in her early to mid-20s right now. She could have said, you know, I don't have my MBA in leadership. I'm not ready to step up. Mordecai, as far as we can tell, has been a pretty horrible leader. He didn't protect his daughter when she was taken away. Uh, he gave her the bad advice to don't tell anyone that you're actually a follower of God. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden now he's vice president of the whole Persian Empire. And he has this all authority to, to decree life and death. And it could have been very easy for Mordecai to say, you know what? I don't feel qualified. I'm not ready to step into leadership. And I'd probably tell him, you're right, Mordecai, you're not. <laughs> but the good thing is that God doesn't look at things the same way that we do. And God takes people who feel like they're not ready, and God 
invites us to step into leadership. God sees differently than us. And if you love people, if you love God, you do your best, by the grace of God, you will lead well. Perhaps some of you maybe have resisted stepping into leadership opportunities in your home, at work, in your neighborhood, in different organizations you're a part of. Maybe you've resisted that, but I want you to know that God wants you to step into those positions because it's not about you and just your fear of failure. It's about people and an opportunity to help them. And it's often the people that feel the least qualified to leadership are most qualified because you have the prerequisite, which is humility. And so number one, what makes them great leaders is they humbly step into authority. I want to tell someone this morning, maybe you have this nudge that you've been feeling. You need to step up into the authority that God has given you. Step into that. I want to address especially the women and the moms here. Step into the authority that God has given you. Step into the leadership opportunities that God is giving you. Don't deny those because you don't feel qualified. Esther was maybe 22, 23 at this time. And we're going to see her continue to grow and lead her people. Step into what God is calling you to do. Number two, we see that they're passionate about the right things. They're passionate about the right things. See, people don't believe just what our leader says. but They get excited about what a leader gets excited about. Amen? They don't just listen to our words, but they want to know what are you passionate about. Verse 3, then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. Esther's showing great passion here. But also notice how respectful Esther is. A woman can be both powerful and even if maybe they're not deserving of that respect, that can help you be very powerful. And so we see here, verse 5, and she said, if it please the king, and if I found favor in his sight, and if this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha. Like I said, when you're reading these Bible names, just read them fast. People trust what you know what you're saying. Which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that's coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? We see Esther's passion here. Esther, up until this point in the story, has not been really overly passionate. She doesn't fall at people's feet all the time. She isn't always weeping and crying and begging for things. What I love is that Esther, at the right time, for the right reasons, is going to be very passionate in the right way waited for the right time for the right reasons now she throws herself at the king's feet this shows the king this must be very important very urgent here's my next question for you what are you passionate about what when you start talking about it your eyes get wider and your heart starts to beat a little faster and you might talk a little quicker because you're just so excited and passionate about that what are those things that you are passionate about? Well, she's passionate about God's people. She's passionate about saving and preserving God's people. There's only two things that are going to spend eternity with us in the kingdom of God. 
God and his people. That's it. That's what's all going to last forever. All the stuff that we accomplish and accumulate, that's not going to go with us. All the pursuits that we strive towards, all those are going to cease. But the Lord and his people will be with us forever. You know what really matters? People. People matter. People matter. And they matter to Esther. And she cares about all people, but you know what? She really cares especially about God's people. She has a passion for the well-being of God's people. What do you have a passion for? What are you excited about? What is it that gets your heart beating faster? Esther gets very excited about the well-being of God's people, and that's the mark of a good leader, having passion for the right things. Number three, we see a genuine love for people, a genuine love for people. Verse seven, then King Ahazar said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay his hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king. Basically he's saying, why don't you write a new law, do my work for me in my name, and seal it, because he's probably going to keep drinking and go off to his harem, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king says to Esther, so what else do you want? I crucified Haman in his own yard and gave Mordecai all his wealth. Now Mordecai is rich. I put him in a position of leadership. Now he's vice president and you're the queen. You guys are powerful and rich and famous. Like, what more do you want? But Esther is filled with love for her people. And Esther says, you know what? It's not about me. It's not just about me being excited that I've received the favor and the blessings of God. It's about the rest of my people, and they're not safe right now. They haven't been blessed. They're in danger. Now, Esther, at this point, like I said, she's probably in her young 20s, 22, 23, 24. She's an orphan girl. She doesn't know her parents. She doesn't even have a mom. We hear about Mordecai, her adopted father, but we don't hear anything about a mom in her life. We've seen that Esther, she's growing and maturing. And you know what? It'd been really, it would be really easy for a 20-something who came from a broken, dysfunctional home to just be thinking about herself. That's not what she's doing. She's thinking about God's people because she loves them. My question for you is, who do you love? I would beg for you. I would plead for you to love people. To love all people but also to have a particular affection for God's people, for the family of God. That's what Esther does. She loves God's people. And what we see here is the heart of God reflected in Esther. She loves people. I want to tell you, as your pastor, I love you. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to pastor you for the next three decades. I want to ask you, do you love God's people? Do you love your church that you're a part of? Are you passionate about God's people. What I love and appreciate about Esther is that she could have said, you know what, I've had a hard life. My husband's a jerk. Sometimes I don't see him for 30 days because he's occupied with all the other women in his harem. I don't have a mom. My family's a wreck. I'm in my 20s. You know what, life is just really hard. But instead, Esther says, no, it's about God's people. It's not about me. It's about loving and serving others. It's not just about the titles and positions and wealth and favor that I can get. It's about looking out for other people. And that is the mark of a great leader. That is the mark of a good steward. 
is stepping into that authority, being passionate about the right things, loving people, opening your eyes to see others and say, I want God's favor and and blessings on my life, not just so that I can have a comfortable life, but so that God can use me to love and bless other people. Maybe God has given you the job that you have that pays you well so that you can be a blessing to others. Maybe God has given you the position you have in life so that you can be a blessing to others. See, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about all the other people that God wants us to see. And here we see Esther and Mordecai. They're not just happy that God has blessed them. They're looking out for others. Saying, God, how can I be a blessing towards others? You know, if you search the scriptures, and maybe you want to search this week and prove me that I'm wrong, but honestly, you are never going to find anything about a personal relationship with Jesus. I know that's shocking because we talk about that a lot in just churches. It's not in there. It's about being part of a community. It's about saying, I've been saved and forgiven. I've been blessed as a part of a community. And so I want to urge you, as you love and follow Jesus, to know that you are doing that in community. It's about others around you. It's not just about you and Jesus. That idea is nowhere in the Bible. It's about following him to make a difference in the lives of other people. I want you to be a good leader. I want you to humbly step into authority. What is your next step? How can you step into the authority that God has given you? Maybe that's in your prayer life. Maybe you need to humbly step into the authority that God has given you to say that, you know what, I'm going to pray over my children. I'm going to pray blessings over them and life. Maybe it's stepping into a new area of leadership and authority at work or in your neighborhood or wherever that might be. Humbly step into that authority to demonstrate your passion appropriately. Be passionate about the right things, not just about everything, so that when you speak about those things that actually matter, people listen. And then love people genuinely. Truly love people. Wherever you are in life, wherever you are in work, maybe you're a mid-level manager and you're wondering, how can I lead up? The best way to lead up is to love people. The people above you will notice that. If you truly love those that you're working alongside, those beneath you, those above you at your job, they will notice that. And you will experience favor and blessing. Love people. Look outside yourself at others. Verse 9, the king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. That's a large body of land. 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. And he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Hazarus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, 
which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the capital. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. How many people does God want to save? Many, many people. How many disciples does God want us as Mosaic to make? Many. How many small groups does God want for us to have? Many small groups. How many churches does God want us to plant? Many, many churches. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews. Now, scholars think some people were afraid and identified you know, with the Jewish people because they were just a little worried. Like, we got a Jewish vice president, a Jewish queen. Like, we've seen the Jews kill their enemies. Like, yeah, Jews, go. You know, like the Fairweather fan who becomes like a Patriots fan just because they're winning the Super Bowl. You know, that's them. And so people may have culturally identified with that. But scholars think, too, that many started following the one true God because they saw how God was behind Esther and Mordecai and how had he had raised them up into positions of power, how God had changed their life. And because of the lives of Esther and Mordecai, many people started following the one true God. And they said to Esther and Mordecai, tell us about this God that you serve. Tell us about this God who has blessed you, who has changed you. And, and, and they said, you know, Mordecai, tell us more about this God we see King Ahasuerus who doesn't treat us right, and Haman who is a wicked man, but you are different. Tell us about this God you serve, this God who has changed your life because of their witness, because of their life. My question for you is, who are you sharing the story of Jesus with? How are you telling people how God has changed and transformed your life? Maybe like Esther, you came from a broken, dysfunctional home. Maybe you didn't know your mom or your dad. And God became a father to you. And in spite of the men in your life who abused you and hurt you, those who were supposed to take care of you, like Esther, you can receive healing and grace and step into the destiny that God has for you. Maybe men like Mordecai you embrace passivity and just let things happen. And instead, God wants you to reject passivity, to step into the destiny and the calling that God has for you. And so that people then will see, wow, you know what, you used to just come home from work and sit in your man cave and just watch Sports Center and, and not deal with your kids, but now I'm seeing you embrace this legacy and destiny of being a dad and even though you didn't see a good father figure in your life but now you are being a great dad to your kids and you're trying hard and you're leading the way spiritually 
And people around you are going to see that and say, wow, what has caused a difference in your life? How are you showing the story of God? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are either a missionary or an imposter. You, as a follower of Jesus, it's not about just you and your personal relationship with Jesus. It's about being a part of a community on mission, making a difference in this world. Esther and Mordecai, they stepped into the authority, into the leadership that God had for them so that people's lives could be changed. And it's the same for you and me. We're not called to just love Jesus privately in our own homes. What blessings has God given your life? If you are a mom today, how has God Bless you with children. How are you going to steward those relationships for however many years you have left? How are you parenting with purpose? It's never too late. No matter how old your kids are, it's never too late to invest in them, to pray for them. All of us have been giving so many blessings. If you woke up this morning with life and breath in your lungs, God has blessed you. How are you going to steward that? If you have the skills and talents to, to run a company, to, to, to be an entrepreneur, to, to work a job, God has blessed you. How are you going to steward those resources, those blessings for God to make a difference in this world? How will you steward the favor and the blessing that God has given you? How can you step into authority humbly, have passion for the right things and to genuinely love people. Amen? I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to close and you're going to celebrate and honor mom. In the back, we're going to have some uh, massage therapists giving some massages for the ladies. Uh, would you stand with me as we, as we go out of here singing now? Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you see a mom, whether you know her or not, on your way out, just give her a hug. Maybe her kids aren't here today. Uh, just, just love her, bless her. We love all moms, and uh, we just want to say thank you. Here at Mosaic, we want to love and honor women, not just on Mother's Day, but throughout the whole year. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, again, flowers in the lobby, go ahead and grab one of those, our gift to you. If you've lost your mom, a child, miscarried, we see you. And uh, we just want to uh, love you. Uh, the massage therapist will be in the back of the gym. So teen boys, no basketball today, okay? We don't want the basketballs to fall on their heads while they're getting the massages. Uh, and then uh, either if you got on your way in or way out, uh, awesome chocolate for all you ladies. Um, so take those, otherwise the remainders will go home with me. And uh, I love them way too much. So... Uh, Receive the benediction and the blessing. May you know that God loves you, not because he got tricked into it, because he wants to. And God is inviting you to step into authority, into leadership, to be filled with passion for the right things. And may you have genuine love for people to see them this week. Have a great week. Be sure to call your mom. Uh, love her. Uh, let's go out of here singing about our great God.